Good morning, church. I'm grateful that you're here today, and I want to encourage you to find a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to jump in uh, there in just a moment. I just want to uh, echo uh, what was said earlier. If, uh, if you're a guest this morning, we're especially grateful you're here with us. And uh, the summer is here for some and close for others. I know that, uh, that that's a time that people look forward to, and, and we're excited about the things that will be going on as uh in the life of our church during the summer, and so I want to encourage you, as Chris said a minute ago, to, to join us Wednesday night as we as we try to kick off some of that stuff. Uh, we are in week five, I think, maybe six, of a study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul is writing this uh, a letter to this church in Ephesus, and the thoughts that Paul uh, communicates in the first part of chapter three that we're going to look at, the first 13 verses of chapter three, are in many ways a, a continuation of what he has talked about at the end of chapter 2, which we talked about last week. So in, in my attempt to avoid re-preaching last Sunday's sermon, let me say this. Uh, let me encourage you, which I, I rarely do this, but I think in this particular case, uh, going to listen to last week's sermon on our website th- today and last week's will be on our website this coming week. Uh, if you missed last week's, I would encourage you to do that because I think what Paul says, we, we have, again, we read the Bible and we see it broken up with numbers and, you know, headings, but that's not how it was written. And so it's important, I think, that we connect today what we're talking about to what he wrote about last week. And like I said, in many ways, continuation of what he talked about last week. But I will say, without re-preaching the whole sermon, the summary of that, of this message, I think, from last Sunday is that God's plan has always been to include Gentiles into God's family. God's plan has always been to include Gentiles into God's family, which is good news for you and me as a Gentile, predominantly Gentile church. Uh, That means that, and what it also means really is that church is a place, as we talked about last week, uh, in the first century more so than us, that they are having to figure out how do Jews and Gentiles get along with one another and live together and function as a church. But in our day, we don't have uh, that same kind of tension. And so I, I have I gave us a lot of different ways to think about well, who are our contemporary Gentiles. And so this morning, I want to pick up uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I want to continue this, this conversation, this to- uh, talk, talk about God's plan to include Gentiles. Some of your Bibles may have the heading even at the beginning of chapter 3. God's plan for Gentiles, God's marvelous plan for the Gentiles, some may say. So let's pick up in verse uh, chapter one, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Here's the mystery. Which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. 
So again, in case they didn't get the message, they're heirs, they're members, they're sharers. Like he's just kind of repeating himself there in verse 6. But that's the mystery of Christ, that all along God was coming into the world and he came through Israel. Israel carried the story and then Jesus came to the world and conveyed the message of the kingdom of God and then now it's been passed on and this to apostles and prophets by the Spirit revealed to them through revelation that they now proclaim that the good news of God sending Jesus to the world was not just for Jews. So then Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel, right? By the power, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of God's power. Although, Paul says, I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. What is this grace? To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was again kept hidden in God who created all things. God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ and through faith in Christ we may approach God with freedom and confidence, Paul says to these Gentiles. You get to approach God with freedom and confidence because you're a part of the family. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So the mystery of Christ is that through what Jesus did on the cross, the Gentiles, everybody that isn't Jewish, are now heirs with the Jews and members of the same body. This is the message that Paul has been hammering home again at the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3. And these Ephesians and those that will... I think Paul's, you know, these Ephesians and those who will worship, I don't think Paul thought about people living in Kaufman County in 2018 because I think Paul thought Jesus was going to come back a long time ago. But I think Paul thought whoever comes after these Ephesians, I think this message is for them. So since we're still here and Jesus hadn't come back, it's for us, right? These Ephesians and all of those who are worshiping Jesus in Kaufman County in 2018 are all members of the same body. And from here... The beginning of chapter 3, Paul, Paul kind of does a little bit of a different angle, takes a little bit of a different angle in writing this letter. He talks briefly about his role. You hear him kind of talking about his role in God using him to get the message out to the Gentiles. But then Paul says, I think the most important thing in these 13 verses, and it happens in verse 10. Paul says that God's intent is that now, and I want when we hear the word now, again, I want us to read then and any time after then, okay? So that God's intent is now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Verse 11, according to God's eternal purpose, so it just means it's always been God's plan, that God accomplished finally and fully in Jesus Christ. So again, God's plan, I just want us to be clear, has always been that Gentiles would be a part of the family, be a part of the church. They would be sharers in uh, this promise. They would be heirs together with Israel, right? But follow me for just a second, very closely. 
God's plan has always been to make Gentiles a part of the church. And through Gentiles being included, God would make the church a place of rich diversity, which it wasn't before because everybody was the same. Everybody was Jewish. Everybody had the same background. And through making the church a place of rich diversity, it would become a place where the Holy Spirit could then dwell and do amazing things. And as the church does amazing things, and as the church does some not-so-amazing things, which we'll talk about in a minute, the church would proclaim the wisdom of God, Paul says, to the world. And it would do this because it would be the only place on the planet where everybody was included and everybody was loved. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, and, and really 11, I think is one of the New Testament's most powerful and clearest statements about the reason for the existence of the church. I think it's one of the clearest and most powerful statements about the reason and existence for the church. The rulers, Paul says, and authorities must be confronted with God's wisdom in all its rich variety. That, that word, I don't know what your translation, if you're not, I'm using NIV, I don't know if you're not using the NIV, it may say something else. But that word that I read in verse 10, God's manifold wisdom. We don't use the word manifold a lot nowadays in just like regular conversation. Uh, that word manifold in this context means like rich variety. It's almost like describing uh, something with, with like a, a if, you, if you, you know, knit or sew, you know, like some, and made some kind of a quilt or there's a tapestry that you've created and there's texture and there's color and there's diversity it's that's that's the what the word actually means it's like a tapestry has this variety and this design and texture and color it's like maybe a diamond that hits the light or the light hits it and when it hits that light or the light hits it it's colors come out of the diamond that you didn't see when you were like looking at it in the shadows right that's what this word manifold means that's how Paul, that's the word Paul uses to describe God's wisdom in all its variety. It, it reaches every corner, it touches every place. It's that grand, it's that, you know, you, you turn it and you look at it and you see something different than you looked at before when you, had, you were looking at it from a different angle. God's manifold, diverse, varied wisdom in all its variety needs to be proclaimed to the world. And Paul says, this is the part I want to focus on this morning. Paul says that this happens through the church. God doesn't just, you know, drop it down from the, from the heavens so that people, you know, get an idea of his wisdom. Paul says that his, God's intent was that now through the church, this wisdom would be proclaimed to the world. Now, notice... It is not, Paul says, what the church says, though I'm sure that's part of it. But through what the church is, to who the church, how they function, right? Who they are, a community of men, women, and children of every race, color, background, socioeconomic location. As they all come together to worship the one true living God. Paul is saying that is what God's wisdom looks like too. Now I grew up going to church and I'm grateful for this now um, though I don't think I appreciated it until I was an adult. And I think for most of my earliest years going to church 
I didn't really understand what going, you know, church was all about. I liked going. I remember liking going. I, I had some friends at church. You know, I thought there were, you know, good things that I could tell, you know, happened there. Even had fun when I was there. Uh, and I know that's not everybody's story, right? I know that's your, your different ones come into a relationship with church at different points in their life. But I want you to just kind of locate, you know, in your own story where you began to think about church. But I, I knew, even as I was thinking about, like, my, my being a part of church and that being a normal part of my life, I, I could, I, I, as I reflect on it now, I can see I was still learning what church was. I actually have I've probably told some of you this. I haven't you ever talked about it in a sermon that I know of, but I, Lana and I have actually shared with people that, you know, we were married and had our first two children uh, before we realized, I think, and both having grown up in church, and we've said, like, we didn't realize really what church was for until we had twins. And, and part of the reason was because we were hours away from our family. They were born premature. They spent weeks in the hospital. And then you realize as people bring food and they come to rock your children to sleep and they come to sit with Lana so that I can go to work, and they, you know, that your definition of church gets changed, right? It stops being just a place that you show up and sing a couple songs and say a couple prayers and bite off a little piece of cracker and take a little sip of juice. It now becomes something else. It has more texture. It has more color. It has more diversity. It has a richness to it that it didn't have before because I didn't have the capacity to think about what that possibly could mean. And many of you, though that's not your story, have had similar kinds of experiences. So this morning, what I want us to think about together is the question, what is church? And how does this manifold wisdom that, that Paul is writing about, the manifold wisdom of God, this rich, diverse, textured, colorful, varied wisdom get communicated through the church, Paul says. And as, as you think about your own answers, I, I want to share some examples of when I think God's manifold wisdom has been made known to the world through the church. So just take these in. Church is a girl that secretly battled an eating disorder for years, who chooses to share it with people that were part of her community. And, and when she does, she finds love, grace, and care. She finds a group of people that would walk with her, that are still walking with her through her own marriage, then divorce, then remarriage, through the birth of a child in her second marriage. Church is that moment when the marriage struggles and when it ends in divorce. And church is the moment when a marriage struggles and it survives. And in both cases, people are there to walk with those who are dealing with that. Church is gathering to worship and singing your favorite song. And church is gathering to worship and singing the favorite song of someone else in the room. Because if they were to tell you, you would learn that it was because their favorite because it, it was sung at a spouse's funeral or because it reminded them of their grandmother who introduced them to Jesus. Or because they just like it more than the other songs we sing. Church is teaching kids and not being sure they are hearing anything you say only to have them years later say, thank you for teaching my third grade Bible class. Or better yet, maybe not remembering a thing you taught them in their children's worship or Bible class, but 
remembering that you cared about them and telling you that. Churches sharing communion and passing the plate to someone that's close to you, that you love, and church is sharing communion and passing the plate to a complete stranger that you hope to get to know. Church is sometimes sad and church is sometimes happy. Church is sitting at a dinner table with friends at a restaurant when all of a sudden they share that their son is having some serious health tests done. And then right there over your chips and salsa, church is stopping to pray for that son. Church is when you're in the middle of worship and you see someone across the aisle or across the room and you haven't seen them in weeks because you know that you likely won't catch them because we have way too many exits in this church building after the final amen, you get up, you stop singing, you walk across the aisle, you walk across the room, and you give them a hug right in the middle of the song. Church is someone responding to a sermon and knowing that they will never have to be alone when they do because they'll be surrounded by people to pray. Church is sitting through sermons that apply to you, and church is sitting through sermons that do not apply to you. Church is the place where you raise your kids together. Church is a place where you find forgiveness. Church is singing a song and nailing it, and church is singing a song and not nailing it. And church is the place, as Larry, as Joe provided an illustration for us this morning and church and where he provides other illustrations many other weeks where he doesn't do that and church as larry said this morning is a place where we bring ourselves and our stuff we don't check it at the door we know this is the place and these are the people to whom we bring it church is where you have important conversations about topics that matter church is a wife who walks with her husband through a drug addiction And somewhere along the road to recovery, he relapses again. And church is people surrounding them and walking with them. Church is knowing that sometimes when you walk with people, it isn't going to work out the way you plan or imagine. But somehow in the walking with people, you know God's manifold wisdom is being made known to the world. And even if you don't know it, you trust that it is happening. Church is any time that we, with our actions, stand out because we've loved well or served well or grieved with other people well. Church is funerals and all that happens with them as we sit with people who are hurting. Church is here in this auditorium on the night of 9-11. And there were faces, as some of you gathered here, I wasn't here then, from, from the community that you didn't recognize. But like many churches, this location was a gathering place. Because you knew that the calming presence of Jesus could be found in a horrible time of confusion, doubt, and sorrow when you shared that time and you filled that space with prayers and tears. Church is some of the leaders of this church back in 1976 taking vans to a military base in Arkansas to bring several Vietnamese families to Kaufman after they had fled Vietnam as the U.S. troops pulled out of Saigon. Church is several KCOC members welcoming entire families into their homes, garage apartments, and rent houses. And because most of those refugees left with the clothes on their back and didn't speak a word of English, church is the whole congregation providing food and clothes and lodging, English lessons, companionship, and friendship, help securing jobs. And then church is also the connection that lasted with those families from Vietnam and the church here for years afterwards. Church is men sitting around in a backyard sharing their hearts. Church is a men's trip to Whetstone and catching a glimpse of the ways God's manifold wisdom is on display in the lives of those boys that are being changed. 
Church is the times when we respond to people in crisis and we respond in love to people in the midst of the sin in their lives, willing to fight for them and for their faith. You want me to keep going? Church is a time of serving. i got a lot more. Church is a time of serving others in Mexico, on serve day, in mission trips, serving others in thousands of ways that are not publicized or ever discussed, that no one will ever see or know that you do because you love Jesus and his church. Church is the meals that are brought to one another. Church is the baby showers. Church is sometimes baby showers for a baby who's coming into this world and whose mama and daddy aren't married yet. And church is loving the baby and the parents enough to not pass judgment, but to love those parents and know their hearts and to know that our goal is to help them in their journey. Church is Bible classes that have been taught and more specifically classes where conversations goes into a spirit-guided direction and it turns from a class into a place where the Spirit of God is a felt presence. Church is someone uh, hosting, opening up to a small group about their struggle with anxiety and depression, and then church is that small group of people surrounding them, laying their hands on them and praying for them. Church is the start of ministries, and church is the wrapping up of ministries as they come to a season of time where they've been incredibly successful. And the, the long list of variety of ministries that have come and gone in this and lots of churches is too many to, to name. Churches, people losing a child or a spouse or a family member and people surrounding them in a variety of ways. Churches showing up to a kid's event that isn't your blood relative and sitting in the stands or cheering them on. Church is another church in town that happened this morning that isn't a church of Christ uh, texting this morning to realize, to only to realize that they, they ran out of communion cups, they don't have enough, and asking if they can borrow cups because they didn't realize they were short until this morning. And church is somehow the manifold wisdom of God being communicated because there's a close enough relationship between two churches that they would feel comfortable to even ask. Church is praying over people in their home or in the hallways before they have a surgery. And church is a prayer request emailed out through our our email list that we lift up from our location knowing that we may never meet the person that we are praying for. Church is phone calls and texts and cards and visits and laughter and tears and joy and sadness. Church will not be ever be perfect and we haven't always done and the church has not always done all of these things exactly right and that is actually the point. That church is all the ways we do it right and all the ways we do it wrong, but that we try anyway, right? Paul doesn't say church is only whenever you nail it. He says God's manifold wisdom will be on display through the church, which is always going to be made up of imperfect people. So it will never be perfect. And the point is that when church is these things that we are trying to be, and a million of others that I haven't mentioned, Paul says that now, through that, those kinds of things and the people that make up the church, God's manifold wisdom would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, the good and the bad and the ugly, that in all of those, the manifold wisdom of God will be put on display. And I think that without a developed vision, without eyes to see, as I like to say, because I, that's what Jesus said, without eyes to see it, 
we might be tempted, right, to think church is about us or church is about numbers or church is about uh, some of the other things that we, we measure success in church with, right, which are just, you know, bunk. They're just not true, right? They're just, they're just false because the Spirit of God doesn't measure success in the same way that we do. What really we need is a vision for church where things are not about us, but they're about Jesus being formed in us. And so what do all of these things have to do, right? What do they have to do with God's manifold wisdom? I think it's, it's that exactly, that in the good and the bad and the ugly, when we nail these things and when we fail miserably trying, that God's wisdom is somehow put on display for the world to see. And that we, as a people of God, we, we commit to being a part of that imperfect bride of Christ, knowing that she's going to have really good days and she's going to have some days where she just doesn't look all that great too. And that's not a new thing with our generation. Like, let's just start back with church history and the Crusades and all the bad things that have been associated with, with Christianity throughout the last 2,000 years. They are not all good. And yet Paul says somehow in the midst of all of the things that have, have Christians slapped on them, Somehow God is making his manifold wisdom known to the world, to the rulers and authorities in the world and in the heavenly realms through the church. I want to read a quote that I think, where I think Eugene Peterson sums up this idea really, really well. And this is what he says. It's kind of a long quote. It'll be like three different slides, I think. So kind of hang with it. It all goes together. He says, many people look at church and see only the exterior, the building, you might say, right? With no sense of what holds it together. Or maybe they just see the exterior people with what, no sense of what holds it together. No sense of pattern or proportion. No perception of the inner energy that pulses through it. No feel of being in harmony with the reality of what is there. No imagination adequate for responding to the manifold wisdom. Some people look at it and see it's a building, more than not an undistinguished building. Some people look at it and see it's a gathering of people, more often than not an undistinguished gathering of people. Some people look at it and see that it has a history, and much of that history could be considered an embarrassment. But the complex interior heart of church is captured in the phrase that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Church is where this wisdom takes place, where the resurrection is practiced. Church is the workshop for turning knowledge into wisdom, becoming what we know. Church is the workshop for turning knowledge into wisdom and becoming what we know. Church is the workshop for practicing forgiveness, where we get to practice grace, where we get to practice love, that then we get to carry out into the world so that we can be part of the proclamation of that manifold wisdom of God, that rich, textured, varied, colorful, diverse wisdom of God. And we are, we are doing this in many ways as a part of the larger body of Christ around the world. I think we're doing this well in many ways and have for years done this well. I know when Lana and I moved to Kaufman, one of the things that we would, and I've, I've shared probably this before too, but one of the things that we would 
people you know would ask, how's it going in Kaufman? And, uh, and one of the things that we would, we've said from the beginning of our time is that there's been a culture of grace here that we hadn't known in a church previously. And I think we have to constantly be fighting to maintain that culture because I think uh, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms would want nothing more for us to, uh, to become legalistic and to be hard-hearted, right? To not be grace-centered and grace-cultured people. But church is the place where we take the ideas we know about Jesus and, and more than we just know about them, we begin to let them be lived out in our lives. One example of this, this love, this workshop of love, church being a workshop of love, I asked this question to a handful of people this week, what is church? And my dear sister Kelly Sue Meyer and my friend Kelly Sue wrote this, this response to me that I have to share this morning. I didn't even ask her permission, which I should have done probably, but she can get on to me later. Because I thought it beautifully described church uh, in the way that she wrote it. And I'm just going to read this to you. She said, I remember while living at the Hope Center, I just started to, go to, to come to Sunday service, and I remember thinking, where is the band? As the church congregation began to sing, I stumbled through most songs because I didn't know them. So on my fourth visit, as I'm still curious, where's the band, I decided to shut up and to stop trying to sing the songs I didn't know, and I just listened. Listened with my eyes closed. I have never heard anything so beautiful in my life. It sounded like a room full of singing angels, and I felt in my heart as the worship rose upward as a sweet aroma to our Father. I felt the Holy Spirit fill the room so full until I felt the Spirit was spilling out of the sanctuary continuously like a volcano. I remember the overwhelming emotion that I had never felt before, perfect peace, joy, and a sense of family and home. I remember like it was yesterday, and now I sing. Maybe not so well, but I sing anyway because I know I'm a part of a family because everyone has, loved, has always loved me, prayed for, and made me feel accepted no matter what I looked like or what happened in the past. The day that I knew, that day I knew I was in God's perfect will for my church home. I've grown spiritually, learned love, and this only grows each and every time we gather to worship and study. I'm thrilled to be a part of something bigger and more powerful than myself. This church has given me purpose and encourages me each week to strive a little harder every day to be all that God has called me to be. So here's why I share that. Because a lot of us have been in church a long time. And, and it's like a fish in water. And the, you say to the fish, how's the water? And they say, what water? Right? Because it's so normal and common to them, they don't think about it. But sometimes we need eyes to see that things are not as normal and as common as we might like to say that they are, right? We maybe have just lost our sensitivity to it. We, we, so, so we can't see the manifold wisdom of God because maybe, maybe you've had seasons as a part of this church where all you can see are the negative things that are going on here. I don't like this, I don't like that. Or maybe you've had seasons where you... I have enjoyed all of the things that, have, that go, on, go on here. And if you've been a part of this particular church or any particular church a long enough time, you probably have had all of those thoughts and emotions you know, at different points as you've been a part of the body of Christ. And that is what Paul is talking about, is normal. right? That you're going to come and I'm going to come and some days I don't like the preaching. 
And some days you're going to come and you're not going to like it. And some days you're not going to like what's being offered. And it's easy to go, you know what? I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm just going to stay at home. I'm just going to do my own thing this weekend or we need a break or whatever it is that we come up with, right? And Paul, I think it's, it's hard to be a part of the, the tapestry and the fabric and the texture of the church if you're not here on a regular basis, for one. But I think also we miss out on participating in proclaiming the manifold wisdom of God when we aren't a part of it on a regular basis. So the manifold wisdom of God gets on, is, is always on display, according to Paul, but sometimes we have to be awakened to it in order to see it. There is a reason that you and I do not sit in our rooms at our house and think to ourselves individually about how much we love Jesus. Like that would be an option, but there's a reason we don't do that and that Jesus didn't imagine that to be church. And there's, we understand, right, that there is something about a gathered body is growing up, as Paul has said in other places, to, to Christ. And that when we gather, we look around and we see people with white hair and we see people with brown hair and we see a few with no hair and we see people with wrinkled skin and it, that skin says that it's full, their life is full of stories, of faith, of sticking it out probably if they're still here in an imperfect church for decades. And we see people that haven't had their first pimple yet and that are learning about church as they grow up and watch the rest of us proclaim with them the manifold wisdom of God. We see people that we know well, and we see people that hopefully we'll have some motivation to get to know better. We see people that we have chosen to journey with that we need in this world so that we don't miss the manifold wisdom of God right in front of us. We need a vision to see that we already have it if we just look. And yes, it's going to invite us to jump in and to be a part, but we have to know that God's intent, God's intent, Paul says, was that now, through the church, this manifold wisdom would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms and that this is according to his eternal purpose. It's always been his plan that God would use people like you and me, that we get to be used by God. A perfect God chooses to use imperfect people to proclaim his wisdom and glory. That's not how I would have done it, but I'm really grateful that God did it that way that we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and that we get to participate. It's not just about gathering. It's not about singing and praying and sermons. And It's about all of those things and all the things that I mentioned and the thousands that I didn't have time to mention. And to this we say we want to be a part. We want God to be used because we know now, as Paul said to the church in Ephesus, that we're heirs that we're members of the body, that we're sharers in the promise, and that this means that God hears us just as much as he heard a first century Jew, or just as much as he heard David, King David, or Abraham, that God hears us and God speaks to his church, speaks through his church, 
And so he ends this by saying, in him and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and in confidence. Let's do that now as we close. God, we are humbled that you use your church and that this body is a, is a smaller part of the larger body in this city, in this county, around this world of what you're doing to accomplish and make your wisdom known. We know that sometimes we look around the world and we think, what's changing and how are things getting any better and what's going to, you know, how is this all going to improve? And, and we surrender all of those questions to you and say that we trust that even in the, the moments when we don't understand, when things don't seem to be improving, when church isn't perfect, that somehow you're using all of the, the bad and the ugly along with the good to proclaim your manifold wisdom to the world. We are grateful and humbled that we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of the bride of Christ on the days that she's beautiful and on the days that she's not so beautiful. Father, we, uh, we ask that you'll continue to use this body. We'll listen to you. We'll be attentive to you that we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear so that we can be your people in this place, in this part of the globe. And we pray all this in the all-powerful name of Jesus, who we have confidence that we can approach your throne through because we are heirs. In his name we say, amen. If you have any needs this morning that you want to respond publicly to, we would love to have to receive you. You may want to find someone around you and let them be church for you this morning. There'll be a shepherd in the back. However you need to respond, let's do that while we stand and while we sing together.